So today, we're not in Romans. We're actually in 1 Peter. So if you guys can open up your guys' Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2, we could jump in. How did John do on announcements? He killed that, right? I thought he did great. Good job, John. Okay. Chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. All right. So, um, I believe that we live in a very unique time in history, uh, especially in America, where for a long time we've been known as a Christian nation, right? America is a Christian nation. Um, and so to be American meant that you were a Christian. Now, I don't know if that's the thing anymore. I think all we have left is Texas, right? Anybody from Texas? Yeah, Texas, let's go, right? So, like, if you're from Texas, you're a Christian, whatever. That's not true, but you get it. And um, so there was a time where being American meant that you were Christian in, in a sense, and that's kind of faded a bit, right? A time where being Christian was somewhat normal in America. Everybody went to church. It's like, oh, I'm going to church. It's completely normal. Like, oh, you don't go to church? Yeah, that's weird. Like, I'm going to have Aunt Sue pray for you, right? It was like this thing that most people went to. And this was, I think, the time when, like, Walkmans were cool. You guys remember the Walkmans? Yes. Big old camcorders. My dad had one of those glued to his shoulder, right? The big old camcorders. Um, and the WWJD bracelets. You know what I'm saying. What would Jesus do? Does anybody still have one of those bracelets? Yes, legends. Can we get them a lay? That's legendary. No, that's amazing. Um, so this is, that, that was a time, and some of us remember it, some of us don't. If you're not a believer today, don't even worry about, this honestly doesn't apply to you at all. But it was, uh, it was cool and accepted to be a Christian in a sense. The town mechanic was a Christian. The plumber was a Christian. I mean, if you weren't a Christian, you might not get as much work. You might not get hired to do a job. I mean, sorry, if you, were, yeah, if you weren't Christian, like, people knew that about you in the community. But today, it's flipped. And if you are a Christian, right, you might not get hired for a job. They might not use your service. They might not buy your cakes for a wedding. Right? We live in an interesting time where the world we live in, especially in America, has become more hostile towards Christ and his people. Right? And I don't think we're helping too much when we have a bunch of people professing to be Christians storm the Capitol building, break into a government institution and take over. And I saw a really sad video where all these guys who had broken in, they were in this that big room, and they started praying the Lord's Prayer in the name of Jesus, doing a horrible act. So we're not doing that well in the public's eye right now. Right? I mean, I know a lot of people who went out there to be a part of that um, and, and I think we have some recovery work to do as Christians. And I don't think it's going to be by pushing our political agenda, but by being the people of God in everyday life. Now, I don't think, I do, I do believe that politics can be a platform where that we push the gospel and see change. But America is not our Jerusalem, it's our Babylon. And as Christians, we are exiles in a foreign land. People will treat you nice, but they'll hate your God. They'll accept you, right? Some, some of you guys that, who your, your coworkers know you're a Christian, they accept you, but they just think you're kind of strange, right? That you're, you're old-fashioned. And so we see Christianity getting pushed to the margins and where it's an abnormal thing to be a Christian in a lot of places in our country where we, we were once the majority, we have now quickly become the minority. 
But you see this, Christianity was actually never meant to be the cool thing or the accepted thing or the popular thing. Jesus said, man, if, you, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. Right, the, the road to, the path to righteousness is narrow, few will find it. He never said that, man, the whole, the, the, it's a popular thing, everyone's going to join in, it's going to be fun. Right, and we, we really tried to make Christianity popular, right, as the church at large, right, with seeker-friendly messages, entertainment-driven. Like, I've literally seen slides and trampolines on church stages. Like, I've seen pastors zip line into the pulpit, which is pretty epic. I wouldn't mind doing that, but that's missing the point. Right, church outreaches, we tried to mimic the world as much as we could. How much can we be like the world to attract crowds and just throw kind of like a Jesus fish or a cross on it? But in our attempt to reach the world, in a lot of ways, the world has reached us and we feel the effects of the ch in the church today. You see, the people of God are not of this world. And when we try to become like the world and we try to be like the world, things start to break down. Right, it was never our similarities with the world, but our distinctiveness that attracted people to the message of the gospel. Right, and so we see this in scripture. We see Israel, the people of God in the Old Testament, right? God has set them apart. He says, hey, you're distinct from the world. Live different. Be holy. Do all these things to show, show his glory to the world. But if you've ever read the Old Testament, if you've read the Bible in a year, kudos to you. That is solid. Um, you see a picture of Israel, God's people, always desiring to be like the world. Man, look at their gods, look at their idols. Man, look at, look at what they're doing up there. We want to be just like the world. And so they would go and start becoming like the world. And God sent prophets saying, no, 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 return back to God. He loves you. That's not who you are. And you see this up and down journey with the people of God. And in their attempt to be like the world, they forgot their distinctiveness. And they were rendered ineffective in their mission as God's people and became enslaved to the passions and desires of the world. And so today we'll be going over a passage in 1 Peter that will be addressing some similar things. So if you hang with me today, not only will we see how we're called to live as Christians in today's culture, but we also look at some things that might be holding us back from living that out and what God is inviting us to today. You guys ready? You guys ready for this? All right. So look down 1 Peter 2, 11 through 12. It says this, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful to be called your children, to have received your love, grace, and mercy. And this morning, Lord, we just call upon you that you would speak to us, that you would speak through your word, Lord, that you would pour out your spirit and that you would show us your truth and what you would have us see about who you are and who we are today. That we wouldn't stay the same, Lord, but that you would transform us from the inside out. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. So we've been doing a really fun series over the past couple weeks, right? Upward, inward, outward, right? So um, my boy Hojo, we did the upward, right? And that's kind of looking at our relationship with God, that upward relationship, who we are in Christ, right? And our relation to him as father, right? Last week, you know, we had um, the inward looking at the church with Fulton. 
and uh, we learned, you know, about being the ecclesia, right? My standout Greek student showing out one more time, showing us the Greek. That was great. Um, and this week, we'll be looking at what our relationship should be outward to the world. And so our first point is we are called to be sojourners in the world. Sojourners in the world. So what does it mean to be a sojourner? What does it mean? So one more slide. Sorry, I don't have it in here. There we go. Um, so this is honestly for Fulton. He's not even here today. I'm just like, dude, I totally brought the Greek out, uh, whatever. And so here we go. So, um, so just sound that out right below it. Just sound that word out real quick. Just kidding. I'm just kidding. So it says, it says paroikos, okay, which means to be a resident foreigner, stranger, alien, one who lives in a place that's not one's home. The word exile, see, and these two words are side by side in the Bible, right? It, it says parapidemos. Just figure that out. I'm just sounding it out. Don't judge me. Okay, check this out. It means pertains to staying, right, to stay for a while in a strange or foreign place, sojourning, residing temporarily. Now, the reason why I have these up here is because I want us to look at those, those definitions and, and think about this. This is how God wants us to see ourselves here on earth. Here in America, here in Hawaii, right? And so when I think about, you know, someone being a stranger in a foreign land, I think about like, uh, you know, anyone who's moved to Hawaii from the mainland, right? So you know this a little bit. If you're not from Hawaii and you move here, right, it's kind of, it's different, right, when you first come to Hawaii. It's a little strange. You feel like a stranger in a foreign land. Now, if you haven't felt that way yet, I want you to drive down to Waianae or Kalihi, park your car, Get out, walk around, don't wear red or blue, don't ask me why, just Google it, okay? And, 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 and you'll see that, oh man, this is maybe a little different than home, right? Uh, and so the culture here in the islands is different than the mainland. I have some friends go like, hey, why do you guys eat rice with every meal? Well, because it tastes good. But in the mainland, they don't do that. Right? Uh, and so, like, they don't eat rice with breakfast. Like, their McDonald's doesn't have, like, the spam eggs and rice. You're like, wait, what? I know. It doesn't exist over there. Um, when we do an outreach, it's called Musubi Tuesdays. We go down to Waimea Bay. We make these things called Musubis. If you don't know what that is, go to 7-Eleven, ask for one. It's really good. And um, we pass things out. So check this out. This is how foreign it could be to be a foreigner in a strange land. So it's a Musubi is, a, a, is rice, spam, wrapped with nori, right, with seaweed. I mean, that's just weird and foreign. Like, I think it tastes good. And so we're going out on the beach trying to convince tourists, hey, this is really good. <laughs> like, this is awesome. Like, like, high school kids, like, hey, do you want this? We made it with our youth group. And the fact that people take it, it's honestly just a way to share the gospel with them. But it's very foreign. I can imagine, like, sun tanning, like, this is strange, right? Um, and so Hawaii, a different place. If you're new here, I'd be taking notes, FYI. Um, if there's anyone that's a little, like a couple decades older, older than you, like a, you know, so like an older gentleman or an older lady, you call them auntie or uncle, just out of respect. So everyone that's older, good amount older, auntie, uncle, don't shoot that too early, okay? Because if you call a lady an auntie, like a little too early, like you'll offend her. I remember the first time I got called uncle, and I'm just like, huh, okay. Yeah, I just accepted it, that's fine, and I moved on. Um, and so... Things in Hawaii, if somebody says, hey, do you want to go grind? Hey, you want to go grind? That doesn't, they're not inviting you to skateboard, okay? And they're not inviting you to the dance club, okay? So don't be scared. They're asking you if you want to go and eat food, grinding, no? See, some of you guys are learning stuff today. This is good. I love that. But if they say, hey, what, you like beef, okay? That's not asking you to go get food. 
that's asking if you want to scrap. See, it's confusing, but you guys need to know these things as a foreigner in a strange land. Okay, last one. Okay, this is how you can resolve so much conflict. If you just conflict with the natives, if you learn how to throw a shaka like the natives, okay? Shaka, this is like peace, like my white flag, like I'm your friend. Okay, so use it wisely, but don't be like, hey, like just, they'll totally spot you out. Like, hey, no, 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 no. You need to throw it like, like just learn how to throw it. Just throw, never mind, never mind. Okay, you guys will get it later. All right, check this out. So here we go. Back to foreigners in a land, sojourners. Okay, so as followers of Christ, okay, I want us to think about this. The world and the worldly patterns of life should seem foreign to us. Things that don't align with God's will should seem foreign to us because we are foreigners who live for a different kingdom. See, we've been going through First Peter and Ohana groups, and what we've been seeing is that Peter is writing to Christians who found themselves as strangers and exiles in first century Roman Empire. Right, so Peter's writing to these believers who had been dispersed, right? In 1 Peter 1, 1, it says that they've been dispersed throughout the world. So he's writing to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So all over this kind of known Roman empire. And they were foreigners and exiles. All right, so why? Why were they foreigners? Because some of them, yeah, they were actually, they moved from their homeland and they had to, to kind of flee because of the persecution. But some of them were born and raised in Cappadocia or Bithynia, but he's still saying exiles, right? And so it's not just because maybe they relocated geographically, but because they've given their lives to Jesus and they've surrendered to him as king and now they're part of a new kingdom. And so wherever they go, it's not actually their home. Their home is the kingdom of God. So he's writing to them. See, what happened when, when somebody gave their life to Jesus back in the day, right, whether they came from a pagan background Right, like a Greek or Roman, you know, worshiping God background or a Jewish background, wherever they came from, if they gave their life to Jesus, they were automatically excommunicated from the community. There was no coexisting, like, no, if you give your life to Jesus, you're gone. Being a Christian wasn't a popular thing, right? Because when you said that, you said, I'm choosing Jesus over my family, I'm choosing Jesus over my geographical community, I'm choosing Jesus over whatever kingdom or nation that I'm from, I'm seeking first the kingdom of God. And so this brought persecution, this brought about reviling, this brought about hatred, and, and people were exiled from their own homes and their own countries and their own families, and this pushed them to the margins of society and culture where they were the minority. Does this sound a little familiar? And Peter's encouraging them as the people of God to remain steadfast as sojourners, set apart in this world for the glory of God. And so what Peter is saying to them along with us today is this is how God sees you, his sojourning people whom he has chosen to live in a land that is not our own. So you must understand, to, to who we, we have to understand who we are before God in order to understand how to live in this world because it's who you are that defines what you do. And that's why we started with Hojo's teaching Right, about, about who we are in Christ. Because when you turn and you give your life to Jesus, when you surrender and turn to God and receive his love and mercy and his forgiveness, the Bible says that you've been adopted, an adopted child of God. Right, and an even better language for this illustration is that you experience a new birth into a new kingdom. Right, in, in 1 Peter 1.3 it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be 
born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. See, where you're born is typically where you claim home, right? So like in Hawaii, like, oh, bro, where are you from? Oh, Haleva, what? Born and raised. Aren't you born and raised, right? And so they ask you, are you born and raised? Why? Because if you're born and raised, typically that's like, that's your identity. That's where you find who you are. This doesn't always work like that, especially if you're in the military, you're a military kid. You're like, I don't know who I am. No, I'm just kidding, right? But you don't like, it it can get a little difficult because you moved around so much. Um, But typically where you're from is where you find your identity, right? Not all the time. So like if somebody's from California, you're like, oh, you're from California, that's cool. You're from like from LA, and so someone from NorCal, like, oh, that's gross. Southern California, disgusting, right? Or if you ask somebody from Southern California, oh, are you from like the Bay Area? No, that's nasty, right? So like you see this kind of where you're from, it really means a lot, right? It's like who you are. And so what I want us to see is that as Christians, we've been born and raised. See, we have been born again and raised from death to life in Christ. It is now where we find our identity. We've been born again into a new kingdom. We've been born and raised in Christ. Do you guys see that? I want to make a sticker and a shirt, so I'm just throwing that out there. Okay, so we're born into a new kingdom, the kingdom of God, right? We have a new homeland, a new nation. As we learned two weeks ago, a holy nation, a chosen race, a people for God's own possession. And so we're strangers in a foreign land. But that's how it's always been. Even in the Old Testament, people knew that they were strangers, right, in a foreign land. Check this out. In Hebrews 11, 13 through 16, they call it the Hall of Fame. I'm sorry, the Hall of Faith, where they talk about Abraham and Moses and all these giants of the Old Testament. And speaking of them, it says this. These all died in faith, not having received things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. And having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have had an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. He has prepared for them a city. God is saying to us today, you are exiles here. Don't ever forget that this is not your country. You're a foreigner here, so live like it. Don't adopt all the customs and the patterns and the priorities of this country. Sure, respect and honor the land you're in. But whatever country it might be, live differently because we don't belong here. This isn't our home. We're an exile. Right, but we're not just exiles for being an exile's sake. In verse 12, it says that we would live in such a way that they would see our good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Right, that, that God's people were always supposed to be set apart, distinct, holy, so that the onlooking world would see what God is lo- like. They would look into the Israel and into the nation and go, man, look at them. They, they serve a real God. And they love a real God. They live for real truth by the way they live. And it's the same for us. That people would see our faith in a real and sovereign God and look at our lives and see Christ in us. Our friends and our coworkers, they expect us to kind of jump in on on rude and, 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 and crude worldly humor and storytelling and backbiting and gossiping, right, and slandering, right? That's just the way the world works. Right, they're going to expect you to badmouth, you know, someone when they're not around or badmouth your boss or your spouse, right, which could be the same person for some, right? But, but the world, where they expect us to jump in on whatever they're doing, like be like us or else. 
right? So they expect us to jump in on the political, chaotic garbage fight that's going on, to be vocal online, but take no real action for the good of others on the ground in your sphere of influence. The world's like, hey, be like us. You see, it is our distinctiveness in Christ that will cause them to ask for the reason of the hope that lives within us. So our spirit-empowered, sacrificially loving, grace-giving, different-from-the-world lives should be a drawing force that brings people in so that we could share Jesus with them. And so Peter says in verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, abstain from the passions which wage war against your soul. Why? Because it's these very passions of the world and your flesh that will keep you from living as sojourners and the people of God in this world. Which leads us to our next point. We are called to wage war. We are called to wage war. So there's a, the story of a missionary who got sent over to this uh, native tribe somewhere in Africa. I mean, this is a long time ago. And, and they were sent to share the gospel and, and give them Jesus, right? And, and, and he was going, you know, learning about their culture. And he was riding back to the missionary organization that sent him saying, hey, this is what they're like, this is what they eat, this is how they dress, like this is what they talk about, right? And just kind of giving them updates, learning the culture, and he would do that every month, giving them a monthly update. This was before phones and internet, like they had to write and they would get it like months later. Well, all of a sudden, the updates stopped coming. Six months went by, a year went by, multiple years went by, and people were like, man, what happened to this guy? Like, did he get like killed or did he get sick and die? I mean, were these cannibals? Like, what happened? And just, just real quick, like if I go on a mission trip and you guys don't hear from me for two weeks, like send help. Like, I need help. Like, that means I'm, things aren't going well, right? But this is a long time ago before, like, the way we communicate today. And so they ended up searching, finding, uh, sending a search party, and they found the village that he was sent to. Um, and they were asking every single villager and trying to describe him, like, hey, have you seen this guy? And, and the villagers just look at him like, what are you talking about? Like, you know, they had a translator with them. And uh, finally, a villager, you know, came up after, you know, they'd almost given up and said, hey, I think I know the man you're talking about. And they, he led them to this hut. Um, and so they walk up and they see this guy at this hut and the guy's pointing, like, hey, that's him. And they're looking at him like, that's not him, right? Because this guy looked like everyone else, right? He had, a, he had long and nappy hair. He had an overgrown beard. He was covered in dirt, painted face, wearing the same clothes. But when they got closer, they realized that it was the missionary, and he was almost unrecognizable. See, he had went in, and instead of reaching them with the message of Jesus, he adapted so much to their culture and their traditions, he actually became one of them. He'd forgotten his name, he'd forgotten who he was, about his whole life back home and where he was from. He'd forgotten why he was there, he'd forgotten his mission, he'd forgotten the whole reason he was sent, and he succumbed to the pleasures and the patterns of the culture around him. And sadly, I believe that, that this is the state of some of God's people today, that they've for, forgotten who they are, that they've given into the lures of this world and their flesh. And so I'm looking at this verse, and I'm like, okay, so what does being a sojourner in an exile have to do with abstaining from the flesh? Like, I don't have to be a sojourner to, to know that I've got sin that I've got to deal with inside. Right? Paul says, hey, like children of God, you know, you know like, uh, don't be slaves to sin. Don't give in to the flesh. Right? And so, I, so why, why sojourn in exile? I don't need to be from somewhere else to recognize, man, I got issues in here. What Peter is saying is that there are passions in your flesh that are driven by the world and its ways which wage war against your soul. 
And so it's trying to get you to forget who you are and to conform to the patterns of this world by appealing to our flesh, by appealing to our old way of life, that, that part of us that is bent towards sin and selfishness. All right, there's a battle waging in this world right now against your soul. Now, I feel the urgency here, right? He's saying, beloved, I urge you. Like, your soul, wherever you are right now, is in danger. That's what Peter's saying. And is anyone feeling a little distracted lately? Like, just distracted, busy, distracted. I feel like this is where so many people live. And I feel like this is the language, this, this language, it's talking about the passions that are waging war within us, right? I feel like it's through the distractions of the heart, distractions of the heart, right? That there are things pulling and vying for our attention and our affection, and this tension, we feel it. Like, God would be like, hey, like, you know, I've called you to more, right? You know, like, we know, like, man, God has called me to be more of a light in my workplace, God has called me to, to lead out more spiritually in the home. God has called me to serve more in this area of my life. We know these things, but then we get so distracted and we just kind of forget and go after the things that our heart wants to go after. Like God could literally speak to us through a message and then like, and go like, hey, like, you're like, yes, Lord, like I want to be a part of the body. Like I realize that I'm a piece of the puzzle, right? I'm a part of the body and I want to serve and jump in and do something and then you're given an opportunity to sign up and be a part and do something, and then maybe you don't know no one. Okay, uh, it's okay. I'm just kidding. Uh, so, you know, and I think, you know, we could be distracted by our passions for Konos and Cafe Haliva. No, um, I know you guys like Cholos. But so, no, there's these things that like, you know, there's these things that distract us. We know God has called us to do more in our lives for his kingdom, but our hearts are getting pulled in a hundred different directions that don't really honor the Lord directly. And so we can get so caught up in the busyness routines of our life. So in our home, um, the rule is that, that we, we try to hold to, that there is, you know, we, when we want to do something really fun as a family, like play a game as a family or go somewhere fun or watch a movie or do something really cool, um, the boys know that their room needs to be cleaned and their stuff needs to be picked up around the house. And so, or else we're not going to do it. So, you know, I remind the boys, and so they're off on their little mission, and they're like, they go to their room, going to go clean their room. Now, this should take about 10 to 15 minutes, right? An hour later, right? And I, parents, am I right? An hour later, right? I'm going in, I'm like, what is going on? And instead of cleaning their room, they have built a castle, and there's this epic battle going on, and all their toys are out, and they're like, they're in it. And I'm like, what? Is, like, you came in here with a mission to clean your room. But you got distracted playing with your toys. You forgot the bigger mission. Like we were going to do something way funner as a family. Now that's off the table. Like we were doing that an hour ago, right? Like you got distracted and gave in to the passions of your flesh and the lure of the deceptive Legos, right? Like we know like, and I get it. I get it. No, because Legos are awesome, but they're a distraction, right? And so um, the bigger mission for us as the people of God is to be building God's kingdom in our lives, not our own. Right? It's not that we can't, can't have things or create things or build things in this world. We can, but are we doing it for Him? Are we doing it in a way that's advancing His kingdom? Because when we build things and create things, we're just image-bearing our God, the creator of the universe. That's a really cool thing, a cool way to glorify God, but are we doing it for Him? 
Because here's the thing, every single day we are inundated with messages and scripts and narratives to live by that are not from God, but are from the world and from the enemy, right? And they feed the desires of our flesh, our self-centered tendencies. I like to call them distractions of war, right? Passions of the flesh, right? And so just three kind of typical ones, worldly acceptance and affirmation, worldly pleasures and comforts, worldly treasures. I feel like 1 John here writes it really well. In 1 John 2, 16 through 17, it says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Worldly acceptance and affirmation. Man, this one is, we see this, right? It's the message from the world that's saying, hey, do whatever it takes to fit in at work. Do whatever it takes to fit in in your family group or your community. Do whatever it takes to, to be accepted, you know, or admired, right, or, or respected, right? And what happens when we do whatever it takes? Well, we don't want to share Jesus because that will make us look strange, right? And so it compromises our witness, when we're living for the wrong thing. See, what happens when we spend our lives living for status and affirmation? Because we see everyone else doing it out there. We see people doing it on, on social media. And we see people doing it at work, trying to put out their bed. Like, look at me. Look at all the things I could do. Right? Look at me. Affirm me. Accept me. Admire me. And when they live for that, this is the, the scary part. When we enslave ourselves to that kind of thing and we don't get it, it crushes our souls. And it compromises our witness. Right, not that doing well at work or wanting to have self-confidence is a bad thing. But when it trumps our desire to bring glory to Christ, when it trumps our affection for God, it becomes a deadly distraction. Secondly, worldly pleasures and comforts, right? And so this one is, man, this is just all over the place and it's hard because it's like our culture is comfort and pleasure. So it's really difficult to, to get away from this one, right? But I mean, I get it because it, it feels so good to endlessly scroll on my phone. Just looking at nothing. Like, there's some weird, like, like, chemical thing going on, like endorphins and euphoria. There's something going on there. It's like, oh, it feels so good. I'm doing nothing. Like, how do they do that, right? And, and, and it's like you're either looking at nothing or something you shouldn't be looking at, right? And you get stuck there. You know, some of us, some of you guys may be more like gamers or playing video games or whatever screen. Choose your screen of choice, Right? Maybe it's too much news or too much ESPN or binge watching whatever streaming service for 17 hours, which is honestly impressive, but not good for you. Um, and, and so these things are not all bad, but when they're done too much, they're tools that have been used to render believers ineffective and keep them distracted from the work that God wants them to do in and through them. When we're looking for comfort and pleasure, when things are hard, when things don't go our way, when things are difficult, we see the world run to the bottle and pills. Let me just drink my problems away. Or they run to sex that leads to a pornography addiction. Or that show on HBO and Netflix that's dirtying your mind and your heart. We see the world running to food. We see the world running to whatever pleasure where we can find that comfort. When things go wrong in our lives, when things get difficult, where do we run? What pattern are we following? Sojourner, exile, we are not called to be like the world. We are not called to imitate the world in the way that they deal with problems. But we are called to run to God with all things in prayer and petition and thanksgiving, making our requests be made known to God. We seek His presence where there is fullness of joy. We seek our God who is the God of comfort, who comforts all of us in our afflictions. We seek Him. 
We have a sovereign God who is in control of all things. We go to the body of Christ. We call up a brother or sister and say, hey, can we meet up? Right? We get prayed for. Right? We see God in his word and we meditate on his promises. We band together as the family of God and we walk through trials and we find comfort in his presence, in his people, and in his promises. Don't imitate the world. That's not who we are anymore. Thirdly, worldly treasures. The message is live like the world. Look how happy they are with all their nice stuff. And what happens is they, believers, we fall for that, and then we end up going after the accumulation of things instead of the demonstration of the kingdom. And the world tries to tell us that it's how much money you make, how much things you have, the house you live in, the cars you drive, the title that you get called by, that these are the things that we're called to live for, that these are the things that if you somehow attain these things and achieve these things, you're going to find ultimate satisfaction. And you see, these things, they're not, again, they're not bad in in themselves. They're gifts to be stewarded well. But the world worships them as God's. Let me, let me tell you, go ask anyone who's maybe tried to obtain this end goal and tell me if they've arrived with worldly treasures. Ask me if they're content. Ask them if they're content, right? Why is it that so many CEOs, businessmen, celebrities, that when they reach the top and they have all these things, they're still battling with depression, loneliness, anxiety, emptiness, suicidal thoughts. They're still getting divorces. All the same things that people struggle with when they worship and pursue the things their heart were not meant to pursue. Right, these things will not ultimately satisfy our hearts. Only Jesus will. There is a war going on for your soul, and they're trying to tell you that if you live for something other than God, if you live for something other than the kingdom of God, if you live for yourself or for this world and its pleasures and its passions, if you live for its storyline, that somehow you're going to arrive. But the only thing that you're going to arrive at is a life continually filled with frustration and unfulfillment and brokenness. See, what differentiates us is that we put our faith in God instead of the false hopes of this world. And as I've studied this text, I've been driven to prayer because I'm, I'm burdened for so many people in the church at large today. So many people who are professing, professing to be Christians, but they're sleeping through the middle of a war, living for this world. Like the missionary from the story earlier, they've forgotten that they are sojourners on mission. And this is why Peter is trying to show us that these things will not only distract us from our calling and as the people of God, but will actually lead to the ruin of your soul. That's why Jesus says, man, you can, go, you can attain the whole world but lose your soul. But I love that God has made our identity as his children, as ambassadors, you know, and children intertwined with our joy and satisfaction in him. That when we're living with and for Christ, living for his mission, and we have eternal things at the forefront of our minds, there's, f- there's fulfillment, there's purpose, there's love for others, there's true comfort, there's true joy. But when we're distracted by the things of this world and we go off and we play with our toys and, and instead of building his kingdom, we build this little like Lego kingdom thinking we've attained something, but we're still left frustrated. You see, the gospel confronts this. It's why I love that Peter here, I didn't, I didn't miss this word. He starts with beloved in verse 11. Beloved, right? He says, like, let's just start with the most important thing, that you are loved by God, that he loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you, to live a life you couldn't live. Check this out. He abstained from the passions of the flesh on your behalf so that you could. 
He died on the cross in your place. He took the wrath of God that we deserved for our rebellion, and he took it on the cross because he loves you and to glorify the Father. See, when he went to the cross, he didn't stay dead. He rose again, defeating sin and the worldly passions so we can be free from that and live with and for God. See, that's what we're going to be celebrating this coming weekend, right? That we have been set free and empowered to live for God and with God. Oh, beloved, I just, don't you know that you are loved by God is what Peter is saying. You're accepted in Jesus, right? God doesn't love this future version of you. Some of you guys in here are like, well, one day I'll get my act together and then God's going to fully love me. No, no, no. God doesn't love a future version of you. He loves the you right now. You're accepted. He affirms you in Christ. Don't go running after affirmation that's fleeting. God has given us purpose. Let him be your greatest pleasure. Find your comfort in him and his promises. Let him be your greatest treasure. And let his glory in your life be your greatest pursuit. Lord, would you give us eyes to see the distractions that are keeping us from living out our identity as sons and daughters of the King on mission. Help us to have faith. And I, and I pray this, man. I pray, Lord, like, would you help me to remember who I am in Christ? Because, man, I wake up and I feel like my heart's automatically just pulled. Like distractions, my phone, distractions, like everything. Like, and, and so I need, Lord, would you remind me? I need a reminder every day when I wake up, I pray to God, Lord, help me take the blindfold off. Help me to see my blind spots. Don't let me be distracted, right, with the affections and, and all these things of the world. Don't let my affections be disordered. I want everything that you've given me to be used for your glory. Lord, I need you. Help me to wage war. And so we ask him, Lord, help us to actively be aware of the battle. Let's take the offensive. Right, we're called to abstain and distance ourselves from the things and the sin that would keep us from walking out our, our, our calling as the people of God. Now, this means that we don't live for what this world lives for. We live for another kingdom, which means we live for another kingdom agenda. Which leads us to our last point. We are called to live on mission. Look down with me, 1 Peter 2.12. It says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So I remember when we were uh, in Italy, okay, so we went to Italy, and yes, this was pre-COVID. Don't freak out. You guys are like, oh, wasn't that like a hot spot? Did you get tested? It's cool. It was a couple years ago. Um, and it was awesome, it was beautiful, the gelato was great, the pizza was insane. Um, but what was really awesome is that we got to share the gospel with a lot of people, okay? Now, the, and I think the, the real reason for that, other than we love Jesus, um, is because the Simpsons, one of our missionary families, were back visiting at the time. And they had done a gospel sharing training in our church, some of you guys remember that. And we set goals. Hey, how many people are you going to share the gospel with this month? And some people are like, man, 30, one every day. And I'm like, that's good for you. I'm going to do 17 because I like 17. It's a good number, right? But, and so everybody picked their number, and we're like, oh, we're, we're, and this is right before our trip. So we were primed for this trip. And so, yeah, and Italy was magical, gondolas, castles, right? It was awesome. We got to bring our kids. Thank you, Scott's Cheap Flights, right? And, um... But we were able to share with people. Why? We were able to share with people in trains, planes, and automobiles. And it happened. Like, it was really, really cool. God was doing some cool stuff with taxi drivers. And it was awesome because our kids got to see God move in that. And so it would be funny. We'd be sitting in a cab, you know, just cruising, just enjoying Italy, you know, looking out the window, enjoying the scenery, and just, just minding my own business. 
one of my kids from the back, we're, you know, we're almost there. He's like, uh, hey, are you guys going to share the gospel with this guy? And I'm like, oh, yeah. Like, I'm just trying to enjoy, like, Rome's, you know, landscape. But sure, I'm sorry, you know, no. But it was good. And, um, and so it was good. So they, they reminded us. It was funny because they would gotten so used to us to doing it. And then I was, whatever, I was tired. But um, we knew that we were sojourners passing through, enjoying the gifts of Italy, but being intentional with the relationships God has given us, right? Soldiers passing through, enjoying the gifts of Italy, but being intentional with the relationships God had allowed us to have. Now, it's the same with Christians, okay? We are sojourners passing through, right? Enjoying and stewarding God's gifts, but being intentional with the relationships God has allowed us to have, right? But here's the thing. Those people that we got to share with, and they probably would have never went to church. They probably would have never went to a church event, right? So God showed us after the trip that, that he was bringing the church to them, that through us he was bringing the church to them, that the, the, the event that God was using was us sharing with them, right? It's been said that around 70% of people in the West, right, that's Europe and the U.S., the United States, will never enter a church building again. So how do we show people the love of Christ and share with them the message of Jesus? Verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they see your good do deeds and they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Chapter 3 says of 1 Peter that we would live in such a way that they would want to ask us for the reason for the hope that we have within us. Right, Peter didn't say when they come to church. Though, don't get me wrong, we want them to come to church. We learned last week how important it is to be a part of the body of Christ. So we want to bring people to church. But Peter's saying to keep your conduct among the Gentiles. Now, you can be a Gentile believer, of course. So that term actually just was like a general term for unbeliever. Okay, so when you keep your conduct among the unbel unbelievers honorable and they see your good lives... Right, that they would glorify God. It's, it's, it's our everyday lives that God is wanting us to look and pay attention to what he's doing. Right, when we were in Italy, we had to like, okay, we'd get into a cab. Does this guy speak English? Number one. Because if he didn't, I'd start going and sharing, and then he'd just be nodding. I think he's with me, and then I realized, you don't know English. That's cool. Um, and so, so, but being intentional, right, every day. See, we could have just enjoyed Italy. It wouldn't have been a bad thing, but we felt God was calling us to be more intentional, right? We got down on some Italian food, which isn't bad, I hope, because I love it, right? But we were, we were looking and praying for ways to share. You see, God's not saying you can't enjoy life. You can't be passionate about life. No, we're actually able to enjoy it to the fullest. So Jesus says the abundant life. We're at, we should be the most passionate people about life but enjoying God's gifts that we would leverage everything, our lives for his glory and reaching others with the love of Jesus. You see, God's mission takes place in the neighborhood and in the workplace and in the home, right? Not just in the meetings of the church. We reach a hostile world by living godly lives in the context of ordinary life, everyday mission. Right, it's not that just that Christians live good lives that allows them to invite friends to evangelistic events like Easter coming up. Though again, we want them to come, invite them to Easter. They're going to hear the gospel. We're going to pray that people get saved. Invite friends to Easter. But that should happen in tandem with our lives. 
our lives should be evangelistic events. We should always have a place where we gather like this and the gospel is clearly proclaimed. But let us affirm and celebrate everyday Christian living. Christians living in Christ's name every day. This is the front line of mission. See, though we were called to be set apart from the world, right, we're also called to be in the world on mission for Jesus, right? Jesus prayed this to the Father right before he went to the cross, right? Praying to God, he says, they are, this is speaking about us and all his disciples. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Set them apart by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. As we do this, there will be persecution as we live out our lives for Christ. They will call our good works evil. They will call our living out our faith evil. And we see this today, right? Because the world has redefined good and evil. So when we stand up for unborn life and the sanctity of marriage and God's design, when we stand up for all these things, right, we're going to be labeled as evil. Right, when we don't go along with their beliefs and we stand up for the truth of God, they will label us as enemies. But remember, Christ exhorts us to love our enemies in doing so that they would see the love of the Father. Enemy love. Right? It's when we don't revile back. It's when we don't give in to the passion of the flesh and spew venom back or seek revenge, but pray for them. Seek their good. This screams the love and forgiveness of Jesus. Living life on mission isn't easy, but nothing worth living for ever came easy. Living on mission happens in everyday life. Right? It's not an event that we tack on to our already busy, busy lives. It's our life. Mission should be the way we live and something, not something we add on to our life. So, so real quick, I want us all just to close our eyes real quick. Everybody close your eyes. Okay, you're not special, close your eyes. Okay, no, you are special. I'm just kidding. God loves you. Okay, um, so close your eyes. I want us to think about right now the people that we interact with every single day. The people in our lives that we interact with every day. Yes, you can include your kids. Now think about the people in your life that we see at work, week to week, month to month, in the different areas of our life. Think about, just think about these people. Now think about the ones that are far from God and close to you. Think about who they are, far from God and close to you. And I want you to think about our sovereign God who loves you and he loves them and he's actually placed you in their lives on purpose. These people that God, I hope that God is placing on your heart, he's placed in your lives on purpose to share the good news of Jesus Christ, to show the love and service of Christ in their lives. That not any one of those people is random, our God is not a random, but a purposeful and intentional God and he's reminding us as a church that he has sent us out as so sojourners and exiles to show the love and the message of Jesus with those he's placed in our lives. You can open your eyes. My encouragement this week for you is that as last week, Fulton encouraged us to carry around a puzzle piece and think about what's our place in the body. This week I want you to be praying for one person that God has placed in your life that's far from him and close to you. One person, be praying for them, how God was have you be more intentional, building bridges to share Christ with them this week. See, this happens, it's our workplaces, it's at the beach, it's at sporting events, it's our neighbor at the fence. But we need to be intentional and we need to think of creative ways to engage people, stepping out of our comfort zones in the power of the Spirit. We need to be sojourners on purpose, not just living distinct in our living rooms, but out that people would see the hope we have. And I think this is hard to go, man, I'm just going to start living on mission. How do I, where do I start? Right, well, increased mission for Christ starts with increased affection 
for Christ. We can't just go out and go, man, I'm going to go live for Jesus this week and think that just an, a, a, a one sermon or just some kind of self-motivation will get you to go and live a completely different life. An increased mission for Christ starts with an increased affection for Christ. So how do we grow in affection? Well, the same way we grow in affection for anything. We spend time investing in that thing. Right, whether it's a relationship or a hobby, the things that you're passionate about and you share about and you talk about. Right, I fell in love with my wife, Jamie, pretty instantaneously. But over the years, my affection for her has grown and grown as I've gotten to know her and see her and do life with her and see her beauty and all the different sides of who she is. My affection has grown. We need to do the same thing with Christ. We need to expose ourselves to more of him and his word. Proclaim his excellencies to our own heart first. Fix our eyes on Jesus. We need to see him and hear from him and encounter his heart and see him in Scripture, his glory in Scripture. See, when we see Jesus and we see that his life, he lived his life on mission for lost people, including us, our love and affection grow for him when we see who he is, the king who came for us. Right, because Jesus was on mission. Like we see him going for people. He went for the, the woman at the well. Right, who had five husbands. He went for the woman caught in adultery with a shameful past. And then Jesus is like, these are the ones that I choose to be on mission. These are the ones that I'm going to choose to turn this world upside down. Yeah, they have a bad past. Yeah, they have a shameful past. I'm going to take their shame. I'm going to take everything they've done wrong on the cross. And he lifts up the woman who was caught in adultery's head. And he's like, he's like, where are your accusers? Neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. He does the same thing with us today. So no matter where you are, you're like, well, you don't know my past. No, you don't know where I've come from. I can't do what you're asking. To, uh, who am I? Well, who are they? These are the ones who Jesus chooses. Tax collectors who worship money. Drunks who worship alcohol. He's like, these are my people. And I'm going to change them. I'm going to transform their lives. I'm going to give them my spirit. I'm going to send them back into their village. And the whole village is going to get saved. These are the ones that I choose. So no one in here is too far that God can't use you. He wants to change you. He wants to give you forgiveness, transform your life, and use you. And some of you guys who've been walking with Jesus, who just need to kind of shake it off a little bit and, and this, this buck up, God's reminding you, he's got more. This is exciting. God uses us. We're all stumbling forward. We're all making mistakes every single week. I'm a sinner saved by grace. I need his righteousness every single day. I don't have it all together. These are the people that God uses. He's like, I'll do it through you. In your weakness, I'm made strong. When the world sees you stumbling and making mistakes and they see you relying upon a good and gracious God, that speaks volumes. You're not perfect. He's not asking you to be. He's asking you to live your life for him and God will do the rest. When we see Jesus and we see what he's done for us, our affection for him grows. Because we see that, that when we look at Jesus, that he was the sojourner that waged war for us always on mission. You see, he was a sojourner who left his homeland of heaven and dove into the darkness and brokenness of this world. He waged war with Satan in the wilderness. He was tempted in every way and did not sin. He never wavered in his rescue mission to save his people. Jesus crossed from heaven to earth in exile in the very world he created, and he waged war against the evil of this world by his conduct and his teaching. He preached the kingdom of heaven. He sought to take care of the lowly and the needy. He went after the neglected. He went after the ones who were called unworthy. When the world said, serve yourself, Jesus served us. 
And he not only waged war with Satan and this world, but he waged war with sin and death by going to the cross. And in order to fulfill the mission of the Father that he gave him to save his people, Jesus waged war on our behalf. He took our penalty. He took our sin. And he abstained from it completely. He lived the perfect life. He did it for us. And all of it was to fulfill God's mission. And at the end of his life, he prays to the Father, Lord, I've accomplished all that you have given me to do. I've glorified your name. Everything that Jesus did was something that the Father had given him to do. Jesus' life was mission. And he's saying, take up your cross and follow me. Be a sojourner. Wage war. Live on mission. This is who you are in Christ. There are people who do not know Jesus. There are people in our lives who are scared and they're alone and they're fearful and they're hopeless without purpose. They're deceived and they're going after something that's never going to fulfill them. And it's like we have been sent to give them our ears, to give them our time, to give them our love, to give them the gospel. See, this was God's plan from the very beginning. After we rebelled against him in the garden, said, you know, God, we want to do what we want to do and live apart from you, right? That separated us from God and it led us into brokenness. But in his love and rich mercy, God made a way through Christ. From the very beginning, God was on mission. Genesis chapter 3, he says, I'm going to send my son, the son of man, and he's going to crush the serpent's head. Right, the whole Old Testament is God calling a people and redeeming a people out of this world to show his goodness and his love and his glory. But see, those people failed time and time again. Kings rose and fall, failing, failing, failing. But God always knew that the only way for his kingdom to come was for him to come himself. So Jesus steps on the scene and says, I'm going to save my people. I'm going to rescue them. And 2,000 years ago, Jesus rode on a donkey into Jerusalem. And people were saying, Hosanna, Lord, save us. The king was there ready to save. You see, the mission of God is the story of the Bible. That is who God is. And God is still on the move in redeeming and reconciling people back to himself. See, after Jesus goes to the cross, he rose again on the third day. He won the war. He won the war. Yeah, he won the war. Yeah, let's give, he won the war. But the mission wasn't over. It wasn't over after the resurrection, guys. It's not over. He called, us, he called people out by his name who followed him. He says, I'm going to give you my very spirit. I'm going to empower you, right, to take my kingdom and my message to the ends of the earth. And I will be always with you. Why? Because the mission isn't over. There are people in this world who are dying without a savior. So you go to the nations. You go to work. You go to your neighbor and be the light of the world. Be the life-giving and life-preserving salt of the earth, the illuminating, truth-telling light of the world. Jesus said that the people of God would be so powerful that the gates of hell could not overcome it. Check this out. Gates are a defensive structure. So what he's saying is that the people of God would be so powerful, so powered by God that even the gates of hell would not be able to withstand the spirit-empowered church. The people of God were always the plan in God's mission. There is no plan B. We are his plan. And this morning, we're being called to remember who we are. A chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. We've been called out of the darkness and into his marvelous light to proclaim his excellencies. This is who we are. And though we might have been pushed to the margins of society, it is from the margins that God has used his people most mightily. Not from center stage, not with the majority, not with great power, but by, not by might, but by my spirit, declares the Lord. And as we are living everyday lives, people would see our good works. They would see our faith, the way we live, the way that we love people. And they would see Christ in us, that they would, we'd be able to share with them who Jesus is.
God uses us in the redemption and reconciliation of his people to bring them back to God, that his grace and his love and his mercy would be seen around the world, that he would be glorified, that on the day of visitation, God would be glorified, but not just that, but that Jesus, the Christ, the Lamb of God, would be exalted 